This is Woman Being. Hello. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good evening. I am joined by the wonderful Emma Williams and Kellyanne Carter. Hello. 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 <laughs> Happy to be here. <laughs> and today we are interviewing the infamous author of the book I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which many would, I guess, consider almost the Bible of purity culture. Um, Joshua Harris. Josh, thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, it's good to be with you. Thanks for thanks for having me on. We are so stoked for all of you to meet Josh, and we're going to have an amazing conversation with him today in a minute. This is Woman Being, where we explore thoughts and opinions and have the freedom to change our minds. Without expectation or judgment, we will hold a safe space and support each other as we navigate together in the form of feminine. Josh, when I read I Kiss Dating Goodbye, I think I was 14 or 15, and my dad had given me the book because there was a boy that I wanted to date, and he was like, well, read this first because I don't really want to date you to date him, and then we could talk about it. Mm. <laughs> and so I read the book kind of like a little bit with like with an eye roll, you know, mm. and there were there was a lot of things in there that um, struck home for me and made me, I think, very nervous about mm. everything in my life moving forward. So um, in that sense, you kind of effed up my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I'm totally kidding. Um, but I, I know that there's there's so many people that have read your book, have, you know, um, complained about it, and then you even went and stopped publication of it yeah and we've all kind of been touched by it different ways yeah i remember my church in like maybe ninth or tenth grade we had like a a like devotional group that Ooh. read i kissed dating goodbye and it was like mm. um a bunch of girls led by a girl who like had read it changed her life and mm. she was like all you younger ladies need to read this and read it and um that was like the first big like ingesting of purity culture messaging I got since I mm. I didn't become a Christian until like right before that. <laughs> and so that was that was really interesting for me. I remember I like swore off of like hugging boys because of this book because <laughs> I didn't want them to lust after me yeah. from like feeling my chest against theirs. <laughs> and like and it was a whole thing like of of being very like anti the opposite sex. Um, from like what I gathered, I also got to read the book that came after that, Say Hello to Courtship, Ooh, yeah. uh, which was a great time. That was a good one. Um, but yeah, it, it, it impacted me until I went to college and I met girls who were like, oh yeah, that's silly. And I was like, wait, what? You can be a Christian and think this is weird? Like I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> yeah. In a lot of ways, I think I was primed for I Kissed Dating Goodbye because I, mm. when I was 11, 
had a special Sunday school class that we went to, and we all talked about our husbands one day and signed a pledge saying that we would not have sex until marriage and wrote a letter. I still have that letter. I did give it to my husband because it's like, wow, this is a weird thing. Like, I can't just throw this away. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I've kept it for this long. Um, And so when I had my first boyfriend when I was about 15, 16, is when my really good Christian friend was like, you have to read this book. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay. And so I read it as the manual to success as a one on the Enneagram. That was very important. Mm -hmm. And then I went on to read the Say Hello to Courtship. And there was one about marriage and you were like, the cover was like, I think you were like on a hammock or something. I don't know. Anyway, so I read all three of those and then proceeded to try to evangelize to all my other Christian friends of like, this is the way, this is the success, the metrics mm-hmm. for success mm-hmm. for yeah. dating relationships and being a good Christian. And, you know, then I continued on to ministry school and purity culture continued to ruin my life. <laughs> oh, and I think, I mean, so many women have come forward and talked about this. And I, Josh, I love that we can tease with you. Um, but you, like, what's so cool about you is that you realized and you listened, I think, to the feedback that was received about the book and you decided to stop publication of the book. And so that leads me mm-hmm. to our first question. First of all, thanks for letting us give a little intro there. But I love these, <laughs> these background stories. <laughs> Gotta set the stage, you know. But Josh, I want to know, tell us why you kissed, I kissed it, and goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> what a convoluted We worked really question. hard on that one. <laughs> I've been waiting to ask you this question for months. <laughs> oh, that's well done. Well done. That's a mouthful, really. It is. is. You know, it took me a long time to change my thinking. So it's easy now to kind of give this short story of I realized this was wrong and I saw the problems and I unpublished my book, but it wasn't that simple. Um, it was painful. Mm-hmm. It took a long time. It took much longer than it should have. I didn't listen to a lot of the critique that was coming my way that people were sharing on the internet and critique that was coming from different sources. And I think that speaks to, I mean, it speaks to my own <laughs> intransigence, I guess, uh, and, and stubbornness, but it, it's hard to, to shift in your beliefs, mm. especially when there's a community of people that still believe that, yeah. who don't want you to change in those ways when there's pressure from, from family, from your church or wherever it might be. It's really, it's really difficult to to start questioning mm-hmm. things, and it was even more difficult for me because, you know, the book was a big part of my identity, yep. and it was, you know, I was, it it kind of gave me a sense of success, and that I I'd, I'd done something, you know, important for God, and yeah. I really thought for a long time that, you know, I had I had um, shared a message that God had given me that I was trying to, you know, help my generation mm. be more godly and experience God's best and so those things were so deeply ingrained that, you know, as we're talking about the ideas behind purity culture and the ideas in my book, it's so easy to just like laugh at so many of them <laughs> and just be like how could we have thought, you know, that but our our, you know, for my past self, like it was very genuine yeah. Yeah. and it was it was rooted in these moments of of real conviction and brokenness before God and mm. sorrow over, you know, hurting girls that I've been in relationships with 
along with all this teaching about how damaging those all this long-term damage that would come from premarital sex mm. you know carrying that into marriage and and you know being led astray and all those kinds of things and so um i believed all that with all my heart mm. totally and i kiss dating goodbye was like you know the story of my journey of trying to do things differently and honor god in my love life and so mm. on so the getting back to your question of of why did i you know, say goodbye to my, my own book. Um, it took, it took my life kind of coming apart at the seams. Mm. It took me stepping away from being a pastor. It took, um, failure as a pastor that was very public, you know, our church going through massive splits, our church, um, being on the receiving end of a sex abuse lawsuit related to wrongly mm. um, failing to report sexual abuse, like these things that were incredibly uh, painful, obviously for the people impacted by them, but for for me, a feeling like I wanted to be someone who helped people, and I'm actually harming people. Mm-hmm. I'm making mistakes that are so damaging, and that opened me up to a place of of starting to question and saying, okay what kind of culture did we build as a church? How did my my own teaching and books play into this? Mm. Am I willing to listen to people who are challenging me and questioning me, even if it's like so scary, mm. you know, yeah. if, that if they're right, then a lot of my life is wrong, you know, those kinds of things. So um, I, I ended up stepping away from being a pastor to go to uh, a graduate school of theology that's actually very orthodox and conservative, but in my circles, it was viewed as like, whoa, that's liberal. Can't believe you're going to that school. <laughs> wow. kind of a thing. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, being in a different context, taking on the, the role of a student instead of being the, the leader and the teacher, listening to fellow students as they shared stories about how my book had impacted them wow. negatively and hearing those stories differently because it wasn't just someone on the internet that was critiquing me. It was like someone saying, Hey, you know, like this is how it shaped my, my view of sex. And it gave me these hangups and fears about relationships and all of those kinds of things. And so it really led to this, this long process. I partnered with another student, this really talented director and producer, producer named Jessica Vander Weingard in producing a documentary, which became the vehicle for me to go back and interview people and talk to people and listen to people and not knowing where that process would end, what it, where it ended up going was me realizing this book has, this book is not just, um, misapplied. Mm. Like when I started, I was like, well, maybe just people have applied it in a legalistic way or, mm. you know, those kinds of things. But that process, I really did change through those conversations and, through listening to people. And I ended up at the end apologizing for the impact of the book mm-hmm. and making the decision to, to unpublish it. And, uh, you know, along the way, I, w- I wasn't sure I, I should do that, wanted to do that. I was afraid there were, you know, I was afraid of being able to pay the bills and, you know, all those mm, kinds totally. of things. Like there, there are so many forces at work in our lives to keep us in, you know, stuck in certain ways, but that's where, um, I, I came to that place and, um, I'm really grateful that, that I had my eyes opened, I guess, wow. but I'm still in process. <laughs> yeah, mean, no, we all? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, wow. yeah. Thank you. I, I loved how you talked about like 
like these are real convictions that we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. And and I wanted to clarify too, like for myself, I think for all of us, like the, um, and, and not just your book, but the things that we learned in I Kiss Dating Goodbye were things that we took seriously. Like I, yeah. I believed mm-hmm. it and I, um, it felt like so, um, pivotal in my faith yeah um about mm. who i was and who like how my relationship with god was in balance and all of those things it was very yeah. much um real to me and very much important mm. and highly valued in my mm. life um how i navigated dating and marriage and yeah. so yeah yeah to me it was it was part of what like made you a christian absolutely mm-hmm. was like are you like abstaining from sex before marriage? Are you handling dating in this specific way? Are you dating Mm. for marriage or are you courting or whatever? Mm. Like it was like, this is part of what sets us apart from the rest of the world and makes us the special Christians, you know? Like it was very much a big part of the Christian identity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even more, like I felt, felt it even more than things that I would say are quote unquote more Christian tenets, like, helping the poor and the needy and the widow. Like it was way more important Mm -hmm. about what your sexual purity was over Mm -hmm. whether you did things like helping others or even forgiving your enemies or um, all these other like values that the Christ taught. Uh, And so that's, it's fascinating to look back on that and that prioritization Mm because it very much was like, this is, 100% 100% mm. part of what makes you a Christian. Totally. No question mm. about it. Yeah. And it was like, it was almost for me at the time, it was, it it took some of the pressure off of trying to navigate dating, which is something Because you had like rules. I had rules. Yeah. And again, I'm a one on the Enneagram. I was like, I wanted to do good and be good. And that I like I was not equipped to make those decisions for myself at the time. Like I was not raised in a way that gave me the ability to wrestle with myself or to wrestle with things like desire. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea that that pressure wasn't fully on me actually probably helped save a lot of my uh, teenage years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the hard thing looking back on these kinds of things or even deconstruction journeys. It's like, I was so genuine and I a hundred percent meant it. And I thought I was being good and doing Mm. good and like walking the Christian walk. Mm. Um, And that's probably the most painful thing about deconstruction. Yeah. And I think that's what, that is what makes it so hard to let go is Mm -hmm. how real it feels and how integral it feels. Um, Which makes me wonder, Josh, what was the tipping point for you? Like, I mean, obviously this is a long drawn out process, right? Like you're learning about yourself, about your faith and your, you know, your job and your church and like all of these factors, like was, was there like a, a thing that made you go, you know what, I've got to let this go. You know, it'd be really tough to point to, to one thing. There were just so many important conversations, the volume of those stories. We invited people to send in. Mm stories of how the book impacted them. And, you know, there was a, a mix of people saying this helped me and this, this led to a great marriage Mm -hmm. and this protected me. And, and then other people who were sharing the stories like we're sharing, which is this really filled me with a lot of fear. This gave me a, a mindset towards sex that still haunts me. And now that I'm married, um, you know, 
so for me it was it was the volume and the patterns that i saw and i think the patterns that i saw in my own life mm. like as i was seeing these stories and hearing these stories i was starting to you know put the pieces together and say wow actually that's true of me as well like i you know i had kind of for so long just said you know this this works my life's an example mm -hmm. of it i have this amazing marriage i'm a pastor you know all those kinds of things which is part of what you have to do as a pastor you know there's a, you you're supposed to be vulnerable yeah <laughs> but um there's a certain point where if you have certain struggles you're no longer qualified you know mm -hmm. so i wasn't even willing to evaluate the problems with purity culture affecting me mm -hmm. Because then that would mean that something was wrong with my my life, and I, you know, I'd written books about this, you know, all this, all of right. that kind of nonsense. But um, it took a long time to through all those stories to say this isn't just isolated. This isn't just one person's family. This isn't just because their church was legalistic. This is an ongoing pattern that I'm seeing in all these different ways. And then I came back to the book. Part of my process was all this study. And then reading my my own book again, mm. and in that I I just I saw it so differently. Like I I saw how it you know the the rhetoric it used, the arguments it used to build this sense of well, this is the only way that you can do this. And you know even when I would qualify things, um, the the weight of the argument was with these stories that were had such a big emotional impact, and so you know, the use of scripture throughout that makes a person feel like, oh, well, it's, he's quoting the Bible, mm -hmm. but actually I'm, you know, I'm just cherry picking verses to, to make different points and so on. When you're a teenager, you don't have most of the time the nuance to be able to see those kinds of things. And I just begin to see, wow, this, this book sets people up to think there's one way to do this. It promises that if you do these things this way, you'll get God's best, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it was that kind of volume of, of perspective and stories that that helped me go this is not just something that needs to be edited this is not just something that needs to be you know qualified slightly this is something that really and for the sake of the people who've been hurt i really felt an obligation mm -hmm. to say i'm completely renouncing this i'm 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 publishing it of course it's still out there used on amazon and all those kinds of things but um i wanted to make a you know a big statement to that and then of course um, you know, my wife and I, we ended our marriage mm. and that was probably the loudest critique of, uh, the book yeah. that, you know, you could imagine because so many people kind of thought like, well, you know, Josh's life is a testimony to how great this is. Mm. And for us to, you know, end our marriage as sadly many marriages end, uh, was kind of the ultimate way to, to undermine Ike stating goodbye and, and the, this, the second book, Boy Meets Girl. Wow. Yeah. And that just this idea of like um, this promised perfect marriage right at the end mm -hmm. of of the courtship is that that was the thing for me that was sort of a little bit of a cognitive dissonance when I first got married. I mean, it, for for anyone that doesn't know and for you, I'm not sure if you if I've if I've mentioned this, but I was married at 18 majorly due to purity culture reasoning like the idea was. Sure. This is the person I want to marry. We don't want to have sex before we're married. Therefore, let's get married right now. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I mean, obviously more nuanced than that. Um, there's a whole episode on it, actually, if anyone wants to dive into my personal life a little bit more. Yeah, but... season one. Go find it. <laughs> Kelly tells all on her 18-year-old yeah. marriage. <laughs> but like because I was so young, I was in a lot of ways a pioneer 
um, among people I knew about what marriage was like and what a sex life was like. And I remember probably the first five years, seven years of my marriage, when people would get married, like I was sharing the most awful information with them about what they should expect. Mm -hmm. And I was not helpful in them trying to navigate things. But there's Mm -hmm. so many common denominators of women having sex for the first time. And it's super painful. And they're like, I can't like get it in or like, Mm -hmm. like it's not fun or like all these things are like, we can't figure out how to orgasm or, you know, so many things that women, women going into purity Mm -hmm. culture were struggling with. And I was just like, yeah, same. Like, it's just normal. Just like, you know, take the time and you'll get better, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which was true for me. But that's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily unravel like that for everyone else. Um, And just because it worked for me doesn't mean that like the six to eight months of like not pleasant sexual encounters don't still affect me today or Mm -hmm. like don't still come up, right? Like that's, it's not good first Mm -hmm. encounters with sex that anyone should be having. And so I realized at one point like, oh, I've just been telling so many of these like poor innocent girls that this is normal Mm -hmm. (laughs) and everyone around me that's getting married thinks this is what sex is supposed to be like in a marriage and then kind of realizing oh it's not normal it's just common in in evangelical communities and Mm -hmm. on top of that the promise at the end of us waiting to get married was supposed to be having the best sex life we could ever have and having the best marriage relationship we could ever have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it that was not the case. Mm-hmm. And so that like was a really big red flag, I guess, for me. Yeah. But and I think that's the sad thing too, because like that is not just I kiss dating goodbye, right? There yeah. are multiple organizations, like I think of like moral revolution. Like same rhetoric, different package, you know, mm-hmm. like they're they're pushing out those same stories and people still believing that to this mm-hmm. day, which yeah. is like, no, I'm just like, stop, <laughs> please. <laughs> yeah. I and mean, you're like, at least you don't have an STD and you're not pregnant outside of marriage. Like thumbs up. But thumbs it's like, up. <laughs> what's your future? You know, what mm-hmm. do you want? And mm-hmm. so, but like, there's actually like an alternative alternative option, which is yeah. none of that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So, Josh, as you obviously went through a ton of process and um, I can't imagine what your journey was like, both in your inner circle and your inner world. Um, I have to know, though, like, what has it been like to unlearn purity culture values? Because Mm. it's so easy to, like, follow that thread into different areas of life. And how have you been unlearning the shame that fuels a lot of purity culture rhetoric? I think, again, it's been a process. A lot of the the rewiring, I think, comes through new experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, um, being uh, single again and having sexual experiences and realizing that uh, – that can be beautiful and good outside of marriage that, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't like implode or <laughs> whatever, whatever different fears there combust. can be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I do think that, um, there, there are a lot of things that we can't just think our way out of. Um, it's not just like an apologetics, you know, debate that, that takes place. And so now we're, now we fixed it. We've argued our way out of that in our own mind. I do think that a lot of times it comes through experiences and it comes through, um, 
living your life and sometimes making mistakes and mm -hmm. recognizing, oh, well, actually, this is what I want in a, you know, in my sex life, or this is what I don't like. And, you know, kind of taking agency in a way that maybe we haven't taken before, mm -hmm. um, is a, is a real process. And, you know, I, uh, I think that one of the things that's, that's helpful for me to remember is these are just incredibly human ongoing complexities mm, yeah. <laughs> that no one generation is going to figure out or no one generation's mistakes are going to be exactly like the next generation's, um, the imbalances or however you want to think about that. Like I, I just think that we should have so much, um, compassion, I guess, mm. for that process of trying to find love to experience sex in a way that's, that's meaningful and beautiful. Like all those things are really hard. Mm -hmm, it's really yeah. difficult, yeah, which is why we're constantly writing songs about it and making films about it and yeah. writing, you know, books that are, that are, you know, trying to work through these things. And I think that that compassion should extend not just to other people, but also to ourselves in looking back and saying, yeah, in that, in that moment, based on the things that I believed and the values that I had, it's understandable mm -hmm. <laughs> that I would latch on to things. Uh, but I, and I, I also think those, those patterns are, are going to be repeated. Like, um, I, through my own experiences can look back and see so clearly the problems in my books and the problems in purity culture. But I guarantee you those same ideas are going to come back again mm -hmm. in new movements mm -hmm. and new books. And they might come from Christian circles. They might come from completely secular circles. Like people are confused and hurting and wanting certainty and, you know, frameworks or whatever to, to fix their lives. And so I just have this like, this sense of like, oh my gosh, like I, I, I read people on the same things on Twitter about dating. They're, they're completely secular and they're starting to talk in ways that I'm just like, oh no, like yeah. these patterns are going to be repeated because people, again, they want to fix problems mm -hmm. and they want certainty in the midst of chaos and mm -hmm. relationships are chaotic and romance is chaotic. And yeah. so I don't know. I'm just, I just find the, the, the human condition so, so fascinating mm -hmm. and, um, and unfortunately, I think we often keep making the same mistakes. Totally. I mean, you didn't invent purity culture, <laughs> like for sure. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, it that's it true. has existed pretty much forever of people deciding to restrict how people interact when it comes to sex and sexuality, um, people wanting control, people wanting power, people um, having a specific moral code that they think everyone should follow. Like that is mm. part of human nature, like you said, to, mm -hmm. to want the rules, to want the black and white yeah. that will make this chaotic life make sense. Yeah. Uh, and mm. so I think that's a big, a big thing that people do always swing back and forth, like across humanity, yeah. we, we go back and forth. Yeah, I think that the, the swing off, often happens too for parents because, mm. you know, that's, I think a really interesting thing. Like I, I feel like I grew up, um, even though people like someone on the internet was like, you're the father of purity culture. And I was like, no, I don't think so. I, They're giving you too much credit. Yeah, I was like, I am not that old. Uh, but, but, you know, I was, I was kind of handed 
Elizabeth Elliot's book, Passion and Purity, mm. the same way you guys are describing mm. having Ikea stating goodbye handed to you. I started dating this girl in high school. My parents are like, what? And you need to read this book. And, you know, they were, they were trying to control things and that felt, you know, chaotic and out of control. And, and then I absorbed all those things and just passed on the, mm-hmm. <laughs> passed on the ideas in my, in my own book. But I think that's another aspect of this. Like there's something about when parents have children and they want to protect them from the things they were hurt by. They want them to avoid the mistakes. Like, you know, like for all of mm-hmm. us with our kids, if, if, you know, if, and when people have children, we'll be reacting to our experience of purity culture. We'll yeah. be trying to push them to just whatever balance or whatever. And they'll probably at some point react to that and be pushing against mm-hmm. it, you know? Um, so it's just so fascinating to me how the, the parenting aspect, I think really shapes these patterns for people, mm. you know, like parents going, how do we create a context where, you know, our kids can get married. We don't want to see them alone. We don't want to see them in bad relationships, all, all those kinds of things. Um, so I'm just, I'm really curious about like this generation that's growing up with dating apps and, and so on, totally. how they're going to react to that, how they're going to raise their kids, how their kids are going to react to that. Like those, those kind of swinging back and forth reactions, I think are, are part of the, oftentimes part of the problem. Mm, for sure. Definitely. I think that well, none of us here are parents. I know you're a parent, Josh, so you have some insight to this more than we would. Um, there is that impetus to like swing one direction and to like maybe try to overcorrect from the example we saw of our parents um, and to like move forward in a way that like we think will be better. I, I do have a little bit right. of hope in the sense of I think – in the broad history of society, we have moved in good directions overall. Like when we think about, Mm. um, if we're talking about, you know, dating and purity and all these things, there's so much more freedom within that than there ever was. There's so much more of an idea of like um, love and romance and partnership versus like, you know, going way back, property ownership (laughs) and domination. (laughs) And so we see trends that seem positive, Mm. but then it's like we take two steps forward and one step back maybe (laughs) as we like creep towards progress as a human race. (laughs) But going into uh, your mentioning like the messages you were fed when you were a teenager, like you, Mm. you were given this book uh, you were given purity culture messaging of your own. Um, and y- you were like 20 when you wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which is yeah. one, quite the accomplishment. When I was a 20 <laughs> year old, I did not have myself together enough to write a whole book. <laughs> I'm curious just to hear like, what like really like made you think that you could <laughs> as a 20 year old? And like what, um, what was like, your biggest motivation, like, I think that maybe we've touched on it a little bit, but what was your big motivation to be like, this is what the world needs. I'm the one to do it. I want to hear more about your thought process in 20 year old Josh's brain. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was really like 17 year old Josh's brain (laughs) where that that starts. I went to a, a camp, uh, in Colorado Springs and had this, it was a Christian camp that I was a student at and then worked at. And 
big emphasis on, you know, bringing the truth to your generation and standing for the truth and standing against the, the lies of your generation mm -hmm. and, and false worldviews and so on. And I, I had a, a real moment of wanting to dedicate my life to, to Christ and to be used by him in a big way. Mm -hmm. Like that was, that was the message that I was getting there. That was kind of the, the whole idea that had been fed to my generation of homeschoolers, like you're being set apart, you're different than the rest of the world, you're being equipped to, yeah. you know, make an impact. And so, you know, my hero was Billy Graham. I wanted to do big things for God. That's what I was praying and hoping that somehow my life would to be a, be a spark to, to serve the Lord in a significant way. And at that time, I had been in a relationship with a girl from like age 15 to 17 where, you know, we were making out, we didn't have sex, but we were getting really close and it was secret and hidden and all these kinds of things. And it, it kind of, um, I ignored all the messages my parents had been giving me. I had not read passion and purity with an open mind at all. Yeah. And when I finally ended that relationship, I was flooded with this sense of guilt mm -hmm. that, okay, this was the thing that was keeping me from serving the Lord. Wow. I I said I wanted to serve the Lord, but really this relationship had been there the whole time. And I had compromised my purity. Mm. And I felt I felt a lot of guilt over all the promises I'd made. You know, I'd love this girl. We were gonna get married, you know, all the silly things that you think in high school. Yeah. But when I broke up with her and saw the pain that caused, I was really shaken by that. And so I came back to the messages that my my parents had been giving me. I read Passion and Purity. I was so convicted over that. You know, I wanted to, to you know, serve the Lord in this area of my life. Mm -hmm. And so um, I started sharing this in the, the magazine for homeschoolers that I was publishing. I started talking about this topic. And the reaction was just massive. Like people... They were all these other kids were thinking this. All these parents were so excited that I was saying these things. I started going and speaking at conferences. Mm. I kissed dating goodbye was the name of my little talk I gave. Mm. And here was a young person saying all the things that the parents were trying to tell their kids. And so it was like, yes, we this, you know, you're a voice to your generation. Yeah. You're, you know, you're standing for truth. Mm. And there was so much affirmation and so many kids saying, Oh, I felt so alone in this. My friends pressure me to date. They think I'm weird because I don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And so, you know, for me, it felt like I'm doing God's work, mm. you know, like this is it. And, um, so I ended up pursuing writing the book and, and getting a book deal, which, you know, looking back now is like incredible to me, <laughs> but it makes sense in the sense that in the church, especially evangelicalism is a very youth oriented movement. Like mm -hmm. most of the big movements that happen are often driven by youth. And there is something so powerful and inspiring when the old folks can look and say, here's an example of, of, you know, a young person that believes. Yeah. And then the young people are like, oh, I guess, you know, I guess there is one of us that's thinking this way. So I think that's part of the reason the book got published. That's part of the reason it got picked up. And the power of it was that I wasn't a 30, 40 year old saying, well, you know, in my day and you know, here's how I got married. Yeah. The power was actually my inexperience. Mm. The power was that I was, I was right in the middle of it. And of course now I look at it and I'm like, 
so ridiculous that I was, you know, talking about how people should do things when I had so little experience. But Mm -hmm. at the time, it made sense. It's so amazing hearing you talk about all this because I was also homeschooled. So I understand Mm. that culture and Mm -hmm. that um, belief of like you can and will do anything and everyone's Mm -hmm. supporting you because all of it's in the name of God. Um, And it's very – it's an echo chamber really. You don't really do life or uh, back in my day co-op, which was school one day a week. Uh, mm-hmm. with a bunch of other homeschoolers. But like you you don't really get out of that circle. And everyone, not everyone might be like your version of Christian, but everyone has a, a faith that is Christ-centered pretty much. And mm. so I'm like, yeah, I really understand what you're saying. And like that everyone would be affirming and like, yes, this is it. And we want to support this message. And when the homeschooling community comes out and supports a message, Wow. (laughs) It is phenomenal. But in that vein, I would like to take us back to the early 2000s when your book (laughs) is full, full, all the rage. Um, What kind of pressure did you find yourself under, especially considering the experience of your book taking off and it becoming like an evangelical staple almost? Yeah. You know, I don't think I've really processed the pressure that the success of I Kissed Dating Goodbye created, I was sort of hidden in that I went and joined a, a local church on the East Coast and became a, an intern there and was being trained for ministry there. And I really latched on to this teaching about the centrality of the local church. And so it became kind of a badge of honor that I wasn't doing as much travel and conference speaking and all of those kinds of things. So it could have been quite different had I really been doing that uh, full speed, you know, doing the conference thing. I was, I kind of reached this point where like, no, that's the proud thing to do. The humble thing to do is to just be a pastor in a local church. So I was just a pastor in a local church. That being said, I think there was a lot of pressure for me in how I then walked out relationships in that local Mm. church. And so I felt so much pressure. I also knew that I was going to be the next pastor of the church. Wow. So all eyes were on me. I was the, you know, the kind of up and coming leader, mm-hmm. being mentored by the senior pastor. Um, I mean, everybody was up in everyone's business anyway. Oh, yeah. sure. But it was even more so with me because it was kind of like, who is Josh going to, you know, pursue? What you know, is Who's he gonna the chosen what's his one? courtship gonna look yeah. like? <laughs> yeah. And um you know, my um, my ex-wife, Shannon, she has a, a book that's coming out in this August. Um, I'm really uh, – I haven't, I haven't read it and I'm sure there are, there are places in it that I won't always appreciate her perspective of, <laughs> of our story. But I'm really proud of her for um, just the incredible work of writing a book yeah. and the courage it takes to, to step out and, and really speak. And she, I think, suffered – so much more as a woman mm. in that church context mm-hmm. wow. um, and experienced so much pressure to conform and to live up to all the standards. Yep. And I would say double standards when it comes to, to women in the church and so on. Um, but, you know, the, the pressure of that book was something that was on us from day one. Mm. Um, you know, I felt that I needed to do everything that I'd said and more 
Um, you know, I felt I had to do things not only according to the the Bible book, but also my own book. Yeah. Um, I, I couldn't like be a hypocrite and not do those things. And so we didn't kiss until we were married. You know, obviously we didn't have sex before marriage, wow. all those kinds of things. And, um, and also I would say, you know, I didn't have that experience of having relationships with different people, dating different people, mm -hmm. you know, figuring out what I, you know, how I interacted with different types of people because our church didn't support that number mm -hmm. one, but then obviously I'd written this book, which had just, you know, exacerbated the problem. Yeah. So I think that kind of personal pressure is the, is the most significant thing for mm -hmm. me related to the book. Yeah. I'm curious to know, this is something that I got asked all the time in ministry school. And that was a very common question and at the time considered very appropriate. How's your purity? <laughs> yeah. how, how is it? Is it good? Or like we would describe it as like <laughs> based on oh one gosh. teaching in my second year of ministry school, um, we'd ask, are you bumping the fence? Meaning like this is the area that God has given you. And maybe you're not crossing the line. Sad. It really does. <laughs> it really does. It's like, wow. <laughs> wow, we're bumping the fence. <laughs> and it was like, you're not crossing the line. But you're right up against the fence. Like if God's given this, you're this area, yeah. you're basically saying you shouldn't be pushing the boundaries. Are you pushing boundaries? Mm -hmm. And it was yeah. like, oh my God. Like looking back, the idea that that was considered an appropriate question to be like, how's your purity? When it's like, bitch, you don't even know me. Yeah. Like you haven't taken me out to lunch or like <laughs> asked me about my background. <laughs> Like you don't like you don't know anything about me. Yeah. So how yeah. could you possibly like ask about one of the most intimate details of my life? Totally. Um, which by purity culture standards, it was great. Thank you. My purity was great. <laughs> I was too terrified to do anything else. But um, yeah, my purity was great in the sense that I was so emotionally and physically shut down. Yeah. That I did not know what it meant to have a sexuality yeah. at all. I was so yeah. frozen in trauma. It was excellent. <laughs> like if that's what you mean. Yeah. If yeah. that's the question. Purity yeah. is doing so awesome. Yeah. I'm nailing it. I mean, I was rock solid, <laughs> not experiencing anything related to romance even in my life at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Completely emotionally and physically and sexually shut down. So like no. amongst all the pressure, <laughs> the pressure of all eyes on you, I'm the next pastor, I'm courting, right? You were courting right. your, your mm -hmm. uh, future wife, Well, Shannon. I have to imagine right. that like carried through your marriage. Oh, there's probably... Pressure all around, like, right? From beginning to end, yeah. right? Like you guys not only had to like perform the perfect courtship and the perfect newlywed life, but then be an example. I mean, not only just being a pastor, but then somehow being this expert on relationship and marriage, like just throughout right. all, I don't know, it was probably 25 years. How long were you married? We were married for almost 20 years, yeah. Dang. Wow. Hmm. And then- when you decided to pull the book, what was that pressure like? What happened? Because mm. <laughs> I can't, I can't imagine that was super smooth. Yeah, I mean, I had been publicly questioning. I was talking about this process. People knew I was doing this documentary. Yeah. There was definitely pushback from people along the way. You know, you, I was kind of making everybody mad because Christian people were like, "Why are you doing this? You know, why are it?" They could. 
they could sense this, like, this is not good. Mm. You're, you can't backtrack on something like this. So there were some Christians that, to their credit, there are many Christians who thought I could stating goodbye was stupid from the beginning. Yeah. And they critiqued it. And I know pastors that were like, don't bring that crap into my, you know, singles ministry wow. kind of a thing. And, and so, you know, there's, there's a, there's such a diversity of, of uh, viewpoints in the church. So there are a lot of people that didn't buy into it. So then when I was questioning it, they would have been fine with that. But other people were concerned, like, why are you, why are you apologizing? Why are you thinking about this? And so on. But then I wasn't apologizing enough for other people, you know, people who, uh, were really hurt by the book. Mm. They, you know, they weren't weren't sure that I was genuinely sorry for the the ideas in the book. And the truth was, is I I wasn't sure what to be sorry for. Mm. I didn't want to just say I was sorry if I hadn't really thought through sure. it. So that whole period was very difficult because I was trying to be authentic in what I was processing. Um, if I needed to own something, really own something, but I wanted to make sure I was clear on what I was owning and what I was actually sorry for and, you know, that kind of thing. And so when I finally reached the point of saying, you know what, this book has hurt a lot of people. Um, it's flawed at its very core. And the most, I think, honest thing I can do is to pull it. Um, I had some really good conversations with my publisher. I remember my my agent at the time you know, he, he said to me, listen, we, this could face a problem. You doing all these things and renouncing your book, like th there could be a lawsuit involved, you oh, know, wow. for the publisher feeling like you've broken the contract. Wow. And I remember being like, oh my goodness, Ooh. like this is a whole nother level of, of problem. But to the credit of my publisher, and I, I really am grateful to them and will always be thankful to them. They just said, listen, Josh, we respect what you're doing. We want to support you. Um, you know, if you feel this way about the book, uh, we want to kind of stand by you by, by unpublishing the book. Wow. And so that was a relatively smooth process. That's wild. Wow. Um, That's amazing. So yeah, I'm really, yeah. Multnomah Waterbrook was the the publisher and I, I just think it was a lot, there was a lot of integrity there for them to, to do yeah, that. Yeah. Publishing world can be pretty brutal and they didn't really, they weren't obligated to do that for you. And I, that also though speaks to your um, inner conviction of like, well, if a lawsuit comes, so it comes, but mm. thankfully it didn't and it was a smooth sailing. But I'm like, wow, that's it's pretty phenomenal. And I'm glad it worked out the way it did. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's impressive for a, a company to be focused on that like integrity rather than um, financial gain <laughs> in that because they could mm. keep making tons of money off the book theoretically you know they could keep selling it and um instead they terminated that revenue stream which is very admirable um i'm curious josh since renouncing the book since leaving your pastoral role um your marriage ending leaving the Christian mm. faith, <laughs> what gives you hope now? What is, what is there? What's there to live for now, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is a huge question. Yeah, to give you the most extreme version of the question. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that um, that is a, a work in progress for me. Mm. I mean, I think that that purpose... And meaning 
and hope, as you put it, is something that's so unique to each person. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I, I've had to recognize like it's pretty tough to replace the sense of like universe redeeming, you know, mission that the Christian faith gives you. Mm. Like that's, that's pretty tough to top. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, it's easy to, I think, fall back on that um, when you are a Christian and kind of, you know, gloss over a lot of the really difficult parts of just being a human. Absolutely. People will ask me now, they'll be like, yeah, no. So how are you doing? And I think they kind of expect that either I, like my life is falling apart or, you know, like some Christians kind of like are praying yeah. that my life will fall right. apart. Like, <laughs> you must, you're living in sin. So you must face yeah, the consequences. Definitely. That's the way you're supposed to pray. <laughs> I've, I've, I mean, I've had people say that specifically. Yeah. Wow. Your life will be so screwed up that you'll come back. To the oh, yeah. good, good. Um, Thanks. Ugh. Thanks, bud. But then, I, but then there are also people who are like, they want me to say like, my life's incredible. Mm. Like it's so much better. And here's the new, you know, the new promise mm. of, and I just, you know, the honest truth is like, I really love my life, mm. but I have my good days and my bad days. I have days where I feel sad. I have, I feel, I have days where life doesn't feel like it has a ton of purpose. But the honest truth is I, I had those days when I was a Christian and a pastor as well. You know, I had wonderful days and days filled with incredible meaning and and so on. And I also had days where I'm like, oh, wow, I'm just going to keep doing this until I die. And, you know, so I think that um, part of what I've been just experiencing is like finding real meaning and purpose in the relationships that I have, um, in the work that I do, um, I'm still very much shaped by a desire to to try to love and do good to the people around mm-hmm. me, um, to give back in different ways. So there's so many, I think, beautiful values in the Christian faith that still continue to inform how I think. Um, you know, it's it's evolved for me. Like I, th- some of the work that I do for the company I work for is related to um, regenerative land management mm. and regenerative agriculture. And so I'm learning about how we can care for, you know, the soil and our our land in ways that um, instead of working against it and just depleting it, give life to it and cause it to flourish. And so, you know, I've, I find a lot of purpose in this sense of like, if I could be a part of, you know, moving myself and others towards a better use of the world so that the next generation is given something that's just not, that's not just falling apart. Like, mm. I think that's, that gives me a, a lot of, 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 you know, excitement and hope for, for what I can be a part of and mm. how I can contribute to the, you know, the community that, where I live in Vancouver and there are things that I'm a part of with my girlfriend where we're trying to, to make the city a friendlier, more connected place. You know, those types of things are all really, um, meaningful and important to me. Mm, that's really beautiful. I think like having been through kind of a, a deconstruction journey of my own, kind of trying to figure out who I am as a person now and like, what do I still value? Mm. And and there is so much from my faith um, that, like you said, informs my desire to like do good and like um, make mm. this world a better place and not be you know, a ruiner, but a rebuilder and, you yeah. know, help. Contribute. Yeah, yeah, contribute. Yeah. Um, and like kind of like the, the what remains is still a desire to be good, you know, mm-hmm. like to to yeah. be like a, a an addition to society and not a 
I don't know, a pull. But yeah. yeah, like in terms of, I think one thing that has surprised me is how much I don't feel like everything is in despair. <laughs> Yeah. You know, like yeah. I think yeah. I, I've called it like an existential crisis, which, you know, it kind of has been over the past several years. But it's also mm. been very human and mm. like very normal in a sense, almost mm. like just to wake up in the morning and not necessarily know. And I think I think even yeah. even people who are very much believers of their faith still despite ha- having like pr- answers in their mind, like just because you think you know maybe the outcome of how things will eventually turn out or whatever, it doesn't mm. mean you feel that presently. Mm. And so yeah. Um, yeah, knowing answers doesn't always change the present circumstances, I guess. Mm. Yeah, Right. One of the things that I've become more aware of in, in retrospect is that so much of the control and manipulation uh, that takes place in Christian circles is so tied to the beliefs around eternal judgment and hell. Yeah. You know, when you, when you believe that, that that is the ultimate result of being led astray mm-hmm. of being, you know, deceived by sin and, and so on, that that's, that's where it can end up. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to bump that fence as you, yeah. as you were talking yeah. about. Right? You don't want to get close. You don't want to get close to that <laughs> right. line, whether it's, it's sexually, you don't want to get close to that line. If it's like wrong theology mm. or doctrine or whatever it might be. And that, and so that belief in hell and judgment, I think is what gives a green light to so much of the fear based right. Activity, right, totally fear-based parenting, fear-based pastoring, you know, in marriages, people trying to control each other and you have to do this and, you know, I have to play this role. And, um, you know, that I think shapes so much of that sense of I've got to, I've got to do things right yeah. and I've got to stay, you know, stay safe right. and so on. And, um, and so to, to move out of that into a space that, in honesty, you also lose this like wonderful comfort of eternal heaven, right? Mm-hmm. But you're able to, I think, enter into this place of discovery, curiosity, openness to making mistakes, openness to other human beings. Like I can listen and have a conversation with someone that's a completely different faith or they're deconstructed or even they're a Christian, whatever, wherever they might be. And yeah. I can listen to them and see them as a human being and try to learn from them and maybe even consider, hey, like I could be wrong and they could have some insight that I need to hear. Whereas in the past, I couldn't have that openness because it was like, if they have, if they're right about something and I'm wrong or they could lead me to hell, you know, whatever it might be. um, Like, I am just so grateful for that different way of being Mm. and different way of relating to life and humans and ideas um, even though it has, it has meant the loss of this beautiful certainty of I'm going to see everyone that I love forever. And I'm going to be, you know, I've got all this time in the future, like that I've lost right. that. And that was very comforting. Right. And that kind of was this wonderful backup. But, um, I feel like, uh, it's, it's kind of pushing me to, to live in the moment and to, and to kind of treasure mm. the time that I have. Yeah, absolutely. I think I even find myself, um, wrestling with that fundamentalism though that i think 
despite I think maybe the tenets of Christianity, maybe I don't really adhere to anymore per se, mm. but I still find myself um, gravitating towards a desire to have a worldview that is right mm. or is, you yeah. know, is good. And, and I think like trying to unravel that is an even deeper level of deconstruction that I'm going through in terms of like finding that peace with uncertainty, finding that peace with openness, mm. finding that peace with probably being wrong or, or wrong being a relative term, mm. <laughs> you mm. know, and, and, and trying to figure out how, how to like navigate the world in a way where it's not all about like this way and that way. It's, it's mm. about like, you know, the many ways and just being curious and learning and growing and kind of just experiencing life um, as a human on this planet. It's a fascinating, fascinating process. Mm. Well, I mean, I think that's the, that's the danger that I've, I've seen in my own life is that it's, it's so tempting for me to want to replace my Christian fundamentalism with just a different type of, you know, a more kind of progressive fundamentalism or whatever the new, you know, group is that I'm identifying with to be like, okay, now I have it right. Mm -hmm. Now this is the way to handle sexuality. Mm -hmm. Now this is the, you know, kind of the new 10 commandments or wherever Mm -hmm. you are. And, um, and I, I saw that kind of tendency in myself on the past couple of years. And it's been really difficult to, to realize, wow, it's, it's that rigid way of thinking that I need to change, yep. you know, the specifics of what I believe. Yeah, that's, that's true, mm-hmm. but that's not just in Christianity. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's, that's in all religions. That's in businesses. Mm-hmm. That's in, totally. you know, society at large. Yep. And, um, which is why, you know, I, even though I have, unpublish my book and no longer agree with those things, I would want to fight for other people's right to be able to, yes. <laughs> if they want to save sex for marriage or, you know, court or whatever yeah. they do, you know, whatever they want to call it. Um, people should have the freedom to shape the kind of life that they, they mm-hmm. want. I mean, I think the problem comes when we start like shoving yeah. that down the throat of other people yeah. and saying, this is the only way when to it's do it. required is when it gets really dangerous right. and really weird. Exactly. Yeah. And I would also advocate like against sort of, you mentioned this ends justify the means way of approaching, mm-hmm. approaching that in the sense that like, well, it's better that you have a repressed, detached, you know, you live a you know repressed detached state from yeah, your body and your right. sexuality then that you have sex before marriage then and you go, go to, to hell, hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you'll thank me like literally when you're dead you know and, and rather like you know encouraging a more holistic way of approaching mm-hmm. the conversation of sexuality and like having a desire for wholeness along with whatever religious Mm. tenant someone lives by. Mm. And then another thing with this existential crisis that I've been going through, I think one of the hardest things for me to process has been the fact that I no longer have this blueprint anymore uh, on how Mm. to raise my future children. Um, We don't have kids yet. It's something that we definitely want and are planning on on doing in, in our family. And it seems like it seems like it would have been so easy to like just have, you know, there, there was a way that I was raised in a way that I could pass down. Mm. And now in the process of deconstructing, it feels like the Wild West, you know, and there's like yeah. great developmental psychology books out there and educators and all sorts of things. But like when it comes to 
sexuality and life and being a person like it's complicated and messy and I'm tr- I don't even know mm-hmm. for myself and anyway so I was curious like for you having been a father within the Christian faith and now moving on like how mm-hmm. has that changed the way you parent like how do you how has that impacted how you raise your kids today mm-hmm. you're gonna be great when you're a parent down the road you'll you'll do such a good oh, job I'm, I'm so confident of that I I also I just think that, um, boy, I mean, parenting is, it's just, it's just challenging and, and it's so, you know, beyond all of us. Um, there's no one, one way to do things and every kid is unique. Like I laugh at how, you know, people can have a child and be like, oh, we're doing a great job. We have these great principles. And then they have another child and realize mm. none of that was related to your principles. Mm-hmm. It was just the particular child. Yeah. So I just, I'm always very wary of um, parenting advice and those kinds of things. But I, I am so grateful. There are so many great resources and even people now who are having conversations around parenting, um, you know, on on the other side of that stringent belief and, and that type of thing. I I had the the benefit of the timing of my own kind of shifting beliefs happening when my kids were in their teen years. Mm-hmm. And so that transition from, you know, young kids to teenagers to adults is one of letting go naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, sadly, in, in many circles that I was a part of that that pattern wasn't there and parents tried to just control and manipulate and some were even abusive in really ugly ways. Mm -hmm. Um, but for me, you know, that kind of process of now is a time more to just try to help them to think about things themselves and to process things together and to maintain the kind of relationship where they know they can come to me and discuss all different types of things. And I have, uh, an incredible relationship with all all my kids. I mean, the the things that we're able to talk about and process. I I'm so grateful for that. And um, in the past, when when I was a pastor, I would have been so concerned about them again being on a bad path. Like, oh, like I can't even like let them just experience life as a human because, whoa, wait a second, you're saying that and that could lead to this. Mm-hmm. And then you could question this. And so you're just constantly fearful, yeah. you know, fearful of where this is going to go. And, and also so fearful of how things will appear. Mm-hmm. If my kids aren't doing well, you know, there was a, there was an incredibly uh, unhealthy culture in our church mm-hmm. of pressure on kids and parents to perform and for parents to be affirmed by their kids' behavior. And if the kid wasn't mm. behaving, then, you know, that reflected on the parent. Yep. And then the same thing was true of pastors. And, you know, we had pastors step down because their kids would, you know, rebel in their teenage years, which is a completely normal thing. Yeah. But everyone, you know, pa- pastors are living in fear, you know, members of the church are living in fear. It's just so sad. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just so grateful that for the most part, my kids in their teen years didn't have to be a part of that. I mean, they, there is, there's still so much that they're unpacking about, you know, those ideas and those values and how it shaped them, but they, they weren't in that bubble for the most part in those Mm -hmm. teen years. And, and that to me is, um, just something I'm really, really grateful for. I'm curious to know, as there was that transition, was there any trust rebuilding that had to happen between you and your kids 
because, you know, you're kind of mm-hmm. describing controlling a helicopter parent, right, for the success of the ministry. And so, and yeah. I understand that. I recognize that. I was grew, grew up in a very similar environment, but it's like, mm-hmm. was there repair that had to happen? Or did you catch at that age that it's like, we cool, dad? Yeah, no, I, I do think there was trust that needed to be rebuilt. And I think it continues to to be important for me to own ways that I parented and not downplay things and just be like, oh, well, I'm sorry we did that. You know, we were just doing our best or whatever, mm-hmm. but to really listen and to try to understand the impact mm-hmm. my role as a dad had on on them and ways that we disciplined. And it, it doesn't matter that everybody was doing mm-hmm. it. It doesn't matter that we weren't doing it as, as you know, stringently as other people. I have to like really engage them where they are. Wow. And, and that can be hard because I, I mean, you know, even with all the apologizing and deconstructing that I've done, I can still be defensive. Like, well, I didn't mean for, that's, that's not what I meant for you to experience or that's not, you know, why. And, and to just actually really listen and recognize, wow, like that role as a child is so different. You know, the way that that suggestion or that you know, correction or whatever it might be would have come across to them is completely different because of the power, power dynamics. And I've, I've had to process that as a pastor, like, oh, when I said these things that carried a different weight for the members of my church, Mm -hmm. same with my book. Like I, I, you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, you know, you should just read the book and disagree with the parts you want to disagree Mm -hmm. with. You know, you, you have that freedom, but People in those settings don't feel those free, that totally. freedom. They they feel like I'm the expert because I'm the author mm-hmm. and because their pastor gave them the book or their parent gave them the book. So there are all these different power dynamics yeah. that we have to be able to recognize and own as we apologize for the things that have happened, as we try to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm kind of getting into a bigger topic <laughs> in response to your question, but it's like if each of us doesn't try to own what we can own, mm. then there's no healing. Yeah. You know, it, we're just, we're just, it's like gridlock. Like everyone's like, well, it wasn't totally my fault, mm-hmm. you know? And I've always hoped that me trying to own my part, which was bigger because of the reach of my book for sure, but it's not all, you know, me but I can own my part. I don't have to get everybody else mm-hmm. <laughs> to to own their part before I say, hey, I played a big part in this because I was a leader. I played a big part in this because my book sold. You know, I played a big part in my local church, obviously in my family. I played, played a big part in the, you know, the harm done to my ex-wife. Mm. You know, owning those things is really difficult, but that that's the pathway for people to be able to heal. Yep. For people to be able to see their own, you know, responsibility and choice and all those things. And um, that's just an ongoing thing that we all have to to do. What a gutting, humbling process (laughs) that must be. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Oh, man. But I think it's just, it's so valuable to hear it. You know, I think, I think one thing that people crave so much right now is, especially in the deconstruction space, like craving to hear that from leaders mm-hmm. to like for, for leaders to take ownership, to say this was my part in this. Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly profound and powerful. And 
I made a joke that um, early in the episode that you effed up my life. <laughs> and and but like really when you came around and said, I'm going to unpublish this book. These were the things that I did that I don't want to be a part of anymore. This was wrong. Like mm. so many people have been harmed by that. That was so profoundly impactful to me mm-hmm. as a young 20 something like evangelical trying to make sense of this this marriage and this life that I had been promised in comparison with what mm. I was living. Mm. And mm. Um, trying to find the words to express to my friends, to, to people around me, like, hey, this wasn't – like, why do we think about things this way? And this was kind of weird, right? And mm. and them not mm. understanding. And in a sense, like, I remember reading the first article that came, about, came out about you unpublishing the book and, f- like – with, with, without even having words for it, I know what I was feeling was so much validation and for, mm. for like the questions that I was having at that point in time. Yeah. And, 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 and that's been huge for me. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's, so, it's so rare to find leaders that will make mistakes and say, hey, I made a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so tragic for me. And mm. I think for so many people. For sure. We look at so many church leaders now who have literally been accused and of, of some of the most horrific things um, and, and what they've mm. done with their power as pastors and leaders. And, and they just come back at it with a take against wokeness or <laughs> against, you know, people who are deconstructing and, and just like basically continue to place the blame back on everyone else. And it's mm. so tragically damaging Mm -hmm. um and Mm -hmm. so yeah i i hope to live by that in my own life you know i hope to never get to a point where i don't feel like i can be wrong Mm. (laughs) anymore because i think it's 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 like truly i think the sacrifice of leadership overall is yeah is just taking the heat for something so Anyways, thank you for that. I, I'm sorry, don't want to take up so much time with that. But um, one other thing that we we talked to you about at the beginning is there's actually a lot of there's a lot of dads out there. There's a lot of pastors out there that that mm-hmm. haven't been through your journey yet. <laughs> you know, like I've told my dad repeatedly some of the the things that I've been through as a result of like you know his perspective on purity culture and things. And and while he loves me very much and, and stuff. He, there's a lot of times where I just sort of hear from him like, well, I did the best I could. Like that wasn't what I meant. So, you know, I'm sorry that you took it that way, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. kind of things. And, and so, yeah, I guess if you could condense all of the process that you've been through in, in like in a little answer, what would you say mm-hmm. to the dads and the pastors and the men who are raising daughters or moms who are raising daughters? Um, about about how to think about this as they're approaching these types of conversations with their kids. Yeah, I would just say my my own journey was one where for a long time I had the justification that because I didn't intend for people to be harmed in certain ways mm-hmm. that Basically, I could just ignore a lot of that conversation and say, well, that's not what I meant, you know, by it. I didn't mean for people to become fearful about sex in general. I didn't mean for them to 
feel crushing shame and guilt and those kinds of things. And I, you know, I, I think the thing that I, I would say to, to a father who's maybe hearing some of these things is that you've got to be, if you want to love the person that's sitting across from you, that daughter, that son, that, you know, spouse, whoever it might be, you have to be willing to make yourself vulnerable. You know, I, I mean, I think that to, to borrow from the rich Christian heritage, like Jesus brought redemption and healing by willing to like be crucified, right? Like there's this willingness to, to lay yourself on the line out of a desire to help the the person that you care about. And if you are so preoccupied with justifying yourself and just hiding behind intent, well, my intent was this, my intent was this. You have to look at the impact of it. You have to lay aside intent and you have to be able to put yourself in the shoes empathetically of the other person and say, what you received, regardless of my intent, regardless of intent, what you received and what you internalized and what that led to and what that created in you, that was real. That was painful. That was bad. That was, that was wrong. And if you can set aside your intent and empathize with that person, that's where you can really meet them and, and love them. And I think that's real humility. And I think that's the, that's the flip side of leadership. You know, everybody receives the perks of leadership. Mm. And pastors, pastors, there are tons of perks of being a pastor. You know, people respect you. They look up to you. They honor you. They're, they're deferential to you. They're, they're perks to being a father. You know, you're, you're the, you know, the leader of the house in a Christian setting, right? And all of the, the things that come along with that. But the other side of all those perks is you need to own the impact of what happens mm -hmm. under your leadership. And it's not enough to say, I didn't mean for that to happen. You know, if you fall asleep at the wheel and you crash the car and your child's arm is broken, you don't just say, I didn't mean for that to happen. You, you try to own and understand the pain that's been caused and, and take responsibility yeah. for that. And so I, I do think there's a lot of, there's a lot of pride and there's a, there's this fear that if, well, if I, if I open the door to being sorry, I'm going to be blamed for things that aren't completely my fault. Mm. And that's where it's like, get over yourself. Like, what would be so bad about you being blamed for a little more than you're actually responsible for? Yeah. If that could be part of that person being, you know, experiencing healing. Yeah. yeah. If that could be a part of reconciliation. I'm not talking about being dishonest and taking on responsibility for something that you had nothing to do with. But why are you so worried about being blamed a little bit more, you know, as a leader, you got way, way more credit than you should have, <laughs> you know? And so I think that's the, the shift that has to happen in somebody's heart for them to actually meet the person where they are. And, and there is some unfairness in that at times, you know, like the person might blame you more than they should, and they might be angrier and they might not see everything perfectly. But I think part of a, like an, an overall relationship is that you let people process mm -hmm. and part of, part of healing and getting over things is being able to sometimes be angry and to, to blame and to, you know, want to try to understand why, you know, certain things happened. And, and that's a journey. Yeah. 
You know, they, that, that person might be mad at you in a way that seems unfair for a while, but if you can keep listening and keep pursuing and keep asking and trying to understand, um, you could be such a huge part of them experiencing peace and, and also seeing your relationship grow in a way that it, it wouldn't if you don't do that. Thank you. That's awesome. Oof. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like, ooh. I'm going to sit on that for a little bit and see where I can incorporate that in my own life. Uh, I'm like, did we just go to therapy? I think we did. Um, because it's true. It's like, what is the fear of being blamed for a little more than maybe you deserve? It's like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, and I think mm. that transfers to so many areas of life, not just deconstruction or parenting. I mean, everything, really. Um, and I like what you said at the end. Part of part of relationship is allowing people to process. Um, and I think that's really good. Being able to create a safe space for the people you love um, is what's going to be able to allow that relationship to flourish. So it was so good, Joshua Harris. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like marinating in that. But selfishly, I have to ask. I get to ask. I nabbed this question so quick. What the hell are you up to now? And secretly, I hope that you have a book in your back pocket that you're like, well, actually, I'm coming out with a new book. Um, but like, not that, not to add pressure to this, but like, mm. what what are you planning on doing? Like now that you have mm. changed your life pretty dramatically. Um, and I'm like, again, is there a book coming? Because that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's so funny that you ask about that because I've been, I've been trying to um, get back into a, a discipline of writing, mm -hmm. and writing about some of these things. And it's so, it's so hard for me to do. Mm -hmm. I feel so like blocked <laughs> whenever I, I try. And I was actually telling my my kids uh, just yesterday. It's, it sounds so silly, but they just were a couple of like mean comments on the internet, you know, people on Instagram mm. saying things like, you know, here's this guy, he's just trying to, you know, he, he couldn't live up to the Christian faith and now he's just trying to bring everybody else down mm. with him. And, or someone else that was like, well, you know, he's still, you know, he still thinks he can teach other people and mm. he's, he hasn't, mm -hmm. you know, he hasn't mm -hmm. learned enough mm. and all those mm -hmm. kinds of things. And I, I want to pretend I have like really thick skin and, and that stuff doesn't bother me, but it really can it can really mess with my head and it you know the the experience of having written things that hurt people and needing to you know pull that back and all of that it it's it's given me so much pause and i think probably fear mm -hmm. around um writing and trying to to share things that i'm learning and so on and uh so i i you know the honest question is like i would like to write but i'm really confused about mm. that. And I think I'm really fearful of the reaction of people, both in the evangelical world, you know, being like, you're trying to lead people astray. Mm. But then even in the, the kind of post evangelical world of, um, you know, the, the critique of basically sit down and shut up for the rest of your mm -hmm. life, you know? And I, I, um, I can be very, uh, vulnerable to that kind of, um, critique, like, yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's what it means for me to be sorry is to never, you know, never say anything again, Aww, kind of a thing. Yeah. And so I, I'm having to work through that and I'm having to work through like, why, 
why do you write books mm-hmm. and and what uh, what's my goal and can I really help people and what does that look like? Yeah. So little little confused, but it's it's meaningful to me that you would uh, that you'd want to read. Oh something my gosh! So thank you. For Absolutely, that. that's so I real. Mean, and writing is probably one of the oddest disciplines and art forms because part of it mm. feels like you on a page. Yeah. And so in that sense, it's incredibly vulnerable. But those two people that left mean comments, fuck them. <laughs> they can come fight me. I will personally fight them. Um, but honestly, uh, if if you ever felt like, you know, producing another book is part of your journey, like I would be delighted <laughs> to buy up several copies yeah. and distribute oh, really amongst friends <laughs> and read myself um, because – Like, I'm just so interested to hear, like, even if we've sat here for an hour and a half, and I'm still interested to know more Mm -hmm. about your perspective Mm -hmm. through your journey, because Mm -hmm. it is so unique. Mm -hmm. Um, And the humility you present now and the kindness and the respect is, unfortunately, very few and far between. You don't see that a lot um, Mm -hmm. in someone like yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's very Well, that really means a lot to me. Thank yeah, you so it's, much. You're super appreciated. So anyway. Yeah. So appreciated. Seriously, I think one of the nicest people <laughs> literally <laughs> we've just ever interviewed ever. <laughs> so uh th- yeah, thank you for coming on and letting us um, you know, ask you questions that are like deeply personal and deeply vulnerable. Yeah. Um because yeah, I just I very much appreciate your your openness and your mm-hmm. willingness to to talk about it. And I think I think that with the understanding that this is like one person's journey, um mm. it it, it's really helpful to hear you process because it helps someone like me articulate some of the things I'm processing, you know? And I mm. think it's just, yeah. it's like part of how we learn from each other, you know? It's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like that's you've so been, good. You've been down this in a way that's similar that, to me, but different. And so, I don't know, maybe it'll help some people. Maybe it'll just be yeah, um, a, 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 an additional perspective on this life that we live. (laughs) Well, that's one of the things I really was so impressed with your podcast, you know, the, the kind of, um, pre podcast conversation we had, which was, which was so much fun to just like see the different places that you're each coming Mm. from in your journey, you know, and you have this common friendship and common desire to, to address these topics and, and yet these, you know, personal journeys that you bring to that. That was really inspiring to me. It was, I, I, I left that conversation thinking like, I'm just so, I'm so grateful that there's not one way to, to practice yeah. faith. There's not one way to deconstruct, like, and it's okay to, to come back to something or move forward yeah. or whatever it might be. I feel like the three of you really embody that. So I'm, I'm really appreciative. Oh, oh my God. You. Oh my God. Joshua Harris. That's so nice. It's never going to be just your first name, folks. I'm forever going to be like Joshua Harris. Unpaid endorsement. Nice thing. All right. So I'm going to ask you, we got to wrap up. We could talk all day, but I'm going to ask you a final question before we, you know, close out, which is a question we ask all of our guests and it is open to interpretation and it's come from a wide Mm. variety of people who are women, some men, some non-binary and, um, um, and so my question for you is, what does the phrase woman being mean to you? Well, I would just say um, I've been in a really life-giving relationship with a woman named Kelly Lamb. 
um, who, who actually you three would really enjoy. <laughs> she, uh, she's just launching a podcast called Bold, <gasps> which is all about having conversations with women who are being bold in, in different mm. ways. But um, I think that the, when I, when you, when I hear that phrase, woman being, um, I mean, I think of, I think of Kelly and I think of the fact that, um, you know, that wonderful play on words of human being, that there is, there is something distinct and powerful and beautiful about, uh, a woman being. Mm. And I feel like I, I learned so much from that energy and that, um, beautiful distinctiveness. So I'm just, I think that's, that's the thing that I, that I think of when I hear that phrase. Oh my gosh. Thank also, you. you're so smitten as you talk about sweet Kelly. <laughs> I'm like, this is so cute right now. <laughs> Kelly's pretty great. <laughs> Love a good Kelly. <laughs> Love a good Kelly. Yeah, yeah. Two it makes sense that she would be so amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. People named Kelly, I guess, usually top, top notch. notch. So, it's true. All right, uh, Josh, uh, last question, or not really question, but last our, our thing, third last, last question. Our third last thing that we need to address is um, some resources. Uh, first of all, where can the people find you? I know you have a podcast and you yeah. are on social and you're doing some things. And like, where can they like comment and tell you to write your next book <laughs> so that more than just us are just like continuing to encourage you in that? And then also, like, what are some resources? that you recommend for people who maybe are in a similar situation mm. that we were five, 10 years ago, or even now, like deconstructing, trying to figure out purity culture, trying to mm. um, find a new way of um, understanding the world. I've got a website that's just my name, joshharris.com. And um, I also spend a, a good bit of time on, on Instagram. My handle there is at Harris Josh. So just last name and then first name. Um, so love to have conversations on Instagram with people, um, in terms of resources, I'm a big fan of Richard Rohr's book, Falling mm. Upward. It, it met me at a, a really pivotal moment in my mm. life. So I always recommend that book to people who are, who are realizing that their current way of being doesn't quite fit mm. where they are. Um, and then when it comes to topics of purity culture, I just, I feel like there are so many incredible resources out there. Um, I'm, I'm going to do a, a poor job of, of trying to list all of those off. I know, I remember I sent you a list of yeah. people that I, that yes, I yes. should have instead we'll of link, me. We'll link that in, in the podcast description. So Yeah, please link to, to that <laughs> yeah. list. Um, There's so many women in particular who I think are, are doing a really good job of, of speaking to these issues. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm, I'd love to to uh, be a cheerleader for for that. Yeah. Amazing. All right. That's well, awesome. A couple of them you may have heard of Linda K. Klein. Yeah. Uh, we did an interview with we her. We did an interview with Linda's her, but she dream. has her book, yes. Pure. We reviewed yeah. Pure. Yeah. So. so read her book, listen yeah. to her podcast episode. She's incredible. She is awesome. Um, everyone go follow Josh. Get on his website. Shoot him an email. <laughs> an email. Send him like some. You Ask know. him some great life giving questions. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Send him some fan mail. No, don't yeah. spam. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he's the nicest uh, newly Canadian we've ever met. And <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably because you're Canadian now. Right. Like, that's where all the the niceness the comes from. Just, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I'm very proud to have just become a Canadian citizen literally <laughs> yeah. yesterday. So before this conversation, wow. so it's yeah, yeah. and congratulations <laughs> yeah. on that. Um, Thank you. Some big fans of Canada. <laughs> Love them. Love our neighbors. You know? Yeah. Where can you find us? We are on Instagram as well mm-hmm. and TikTok. Yeah. And our handle is at Woman Being Podcast. Yeah. Um, follow us. Give us a review on Spotify and mm-hmm. Apple Podcasts. That would be greatly appreciated. Or subscribe to us on YouTube. And we're also... I mean, if you're listening to this, you know that we can be found on whatever podcast platform you prefer. So (laughs) so find us, share us with your friends. We really appreciate you, Woman Beings. We hope you love this conversation with Mm -hmm. Josh Harris. He's literally been on our list for three years and (laughs) we were all so blown away when he emailed us back for the first time. We were like, no way. So (laughs) this has been a long time coming. Um, very much a, a dream and it feels a little surreal that we're wrapping up this episode now but um well, thank you so much yeah thank you again yeah and um yeah we'll see you guys next time bye bye <laughs>